Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victim. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here with me today. And I just appreciate you guys. And I want to say that I love you. And I hope that you had a great week and you're going to have an even better weekend. Omar Jr. is here with me today. So if you hear him in the background, I'm giving you fair warning. He's usually not too bad, but just in case, (laughs) you may see him run across the screen. If you're watching from YouTube or if you're listening, you may hear him in the background a little bit. Thank you so much, friends, for being here with me. I have a very special and unique guest, much like many of our other guests. And I'll introduce her in a second. A few quick announcements, if you could, friend, if you haven't yet. Great review on Apple iTunes. You guys know where to find me on Instagram, Infertility and Me Podcast, as well as um, through my email, infertilityme at outlook.com. And I think that's it for the, oh, no, today's episode is sponsored by betterhelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P.com. BetterHelp will help you to assess your needs and to match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It is not a crisis hotline. It is not a self-help service. It is a professional counseling done securely online. I'm a huge advocate for mental health therapy through um, through working with a licensed practitioner or licensed therapist, especially during the infertility journey because it is so much trauma involved emotionally and physically as well with that diagnosis with miscarriages and other losses. The service is available worldwide and it is to be used at your convenience through a virtual therapy. It's more affordable. Traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available as well. BetterHelp also wants you to start living your best life and happier life today. You can tap the link in today's show notes in order to sign up and start your free trial with BetterHelp. And I have used your platform before. It is very user-friendly and easy to get connected with a therapist and find your tribe with a licensed therapist. Thank you guys. We're back with my girl, Ellen. She is going to share her journey to motherhood. I think you guys will really find a lot of inspiration and be able to relate to her journey in some way or another. Uh, it's very uh, uh, incredible and remarkable what she's been through and to still be here to tell and live it's all about her journey. So thank you so much, Ellen, girl, for coming on. And thanks for having me. Everybody. And just, you know, it's not easy for everybody to share their journey. So I appreciate you so much. And I know that everybody else will too. So I guess we can just start from the beginning of what, I guess, what your expectation was for motherhood before you actually had your children. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, I've always wanted to be a mom. Um, I grew up with a stay at home mom. And so that's kind of what I envision myself doing. Um, I currently am working only part-time, so I'm half and half, but, um, yeah, I just always wanted a kid. There was even one time in like one of my interviews when I was like 23 for a job, they were like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, Oh, I see myself as a mom. And then I was like, well, that was a dumb response. Like, no wonder I didn't get that job. Um, but I've always just just wanted to raise my kids and be there with my kids. And, you know, um, I've never wanted them to just be in daycare and, you know, with other people 
doing it. So I've always wanted to be home with them. And I've always been like, I was a nanny and babysitter a lot growing up. So been good with kids my whole life. Um, so it was really, I mean, I was on, you know, birth control for like 16 years or however long I got on it right away in high school. Cause I wasn't even sexually active yet, but my periods were so abnormal. So it was, uh, prescribed to me to kind of get everything regulated. So I've always had issues being like regular, um, with my cycles and everything, but, um, you know, you don't think about it when you're on birth control. Cause at that time, you're just like, don't want babies now. Um, not, not the time. And then of course, as soon as I wanted them, it was impossible to get pregnant. So it was just such a vicious thing. Um, but yeah, so, um, I guess I just, as soon as I got married, um, I knew I wanted a family and we'd been together already for five and a half years, I want to say almost six. Um, so we were ready to just, we didn't like start. I just got off birth control right away. We didn't necessarily like start immediately, like doing all the fertility things. Um, but I was off birth control and I thought, you know, maybe it would just happen right away. Cause there's so many people that get pregnant accidentally or yeah. you know, <laughs> without even trying. And they're like, Oh man, you know, it just happened after, you know, right. like, or or vacation or something like that. Right. right. So I kind of figured that's what would happen. And we tried the whole process where they said, try naturally for a year. And then at that point, if nothing happens, consider start doing treatments. And so that's where we essentially started. So did, uh, how long did you guys wait before getting um, diagnosis after you tried naturally for a while? Yes. So we tried naturally one, one full year. Um, and then at the time I was still working with my just OB um, and she recommended getting on Clomid. Um, and so I did Clomid for like eight rounds. Um, uh, so eight months, eight cycles. Um, and it was really frustrating because my periods still weren't super regular. Um, so it would be like my cycles weren't every 30, 35 days or whatever. So it was still, you know, long times in between each period sometimes. Um, and so we did eight cycles of that and it was just like completely so stressful. I was, you know, trying to do the ovulation trackers like the little sticks that you pee on to track ov ovulation all of those things and I would get positive results but I just never felt like I just never felt like it was quite right you know um and since mm -hmm. I'd always been so um had such difficulties with a regular period I just was wondering what was wrong and so um my OB said you know since you've been trying so long with the Clomid, usually that's where I stop and I, you know, introduce you to a fertility specialist or refer you to a infertility specialist. Um, and at that point we started seeing the actual infertility doctors. Um, and so we'd already been trying at this point for like two years um, when we started seeing them. Uh, and they, 
they kept me on. I can't remember if I did Clomid for a couple cycles with them along with the IUIs mm -hmm. or the. I'm pretty sure they took me off Clomid altogether and we started doing the injections gotcha. at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we like really upped our game, but it's so expensive mm -hmm. um, and it's so hit or miss, like what's covered through insurance. It's very strange talking to some friends that have been through it. You know, she, one of my friends um, was going through infertility treatments and she like all of her IUIs and all of her shots were covered, um, but not um, certain things that were covered for me. And so it was kind of opposite, yeah. like none of my shots were covered. And so I don't know, it's just- Yeah, it is. State by state, you know, insurance company by insurance company, for sure, absolutely. And it's so frustrating, just, I mean, we obviously knew it was, a, possibility that we'd have to be doing this so we were kind of trying to save but at the same time it's just like oh my god like how much do you want to invest in it and how far do you want to take it and then you know obviously even if you do want to adopt that's going to be super expensive too so just all of it in general is insanely stressful <laughs> and hard on a marriage in general so oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it tests it. It tests every aspect of your of your relationship for sure. Absolutely. So how did you yeah. feel when you got your diagnosis, and how did you, or how did it? I guess a lot of people have different. We all have different ways of how we deal with it and how it manifests. You know, right. in a physical sense. <laughs> did you? Um, in my life, I've always struggled kind of with depression and anxiety, and so this really. Um, exacerbated it I guess and I've also struggled with addiction so I actually was drinking like insane amounts um during all of the treatments which obviously isn't helpful <laughs> you're yeah. kind of supposed to cleanse your body and be as healthy as possible yeah. um but I was not doing that um the only way I knew at the time to cope was through drinking um and it actually got to the point where I couldn't go a day without drinking. And even when we were doing the Clomid, um, there were a couple cycles where it was like, okay, we timed it all perfectly. And we know that, um, you know, we had sex on the days we were supposed right. to. And so it's so such a possibility that I'm pregnant. And even for like the two week wait, I wasn't yeah. able to quit drinking. Um, and I kept rationalizing it. I was like, I'm not, I'm not having vodka. I'm just having wine. So, you know, it's fine. It's just things like that. Um, and that was when I really realized that I probably had a drinking issue overall. Um, not just due to fertility, but just it escalated it, I guess. Okay. Um, I see what you mean. So the, yeah. the fact that I couldn't stop even though all i've wanted my whole life is to have kids and have a family was really just kind of eye-opening um but still at the time i wasn't ready to stop um and it took several months of some really terrible drinking episodes um and so we actually had to pause our treatment 
um, fertility treatments uh, because I had to go to rehab in order to stop drinking. Um, so all, I mean, the stress of the treatments definitely made me drink a ton more, but I'm not blaming, you know, only for only my infertility issues whatsoever on my drinking. It's been, you know, compounded throughout my whole life that I'm, you know, just an addict in general. Um, but yeah, so the journey was interrupted with a rehab stay. Um, and it was devastating because of course it's just more wait time. Um, and, and then you're not even sure if it's the right time to be starting a family when you're going through all those types of struggles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I understand for sure. Yeah. There were just so many, so many unknowns, so many, um, and it was just so hard. And luckily my husband is super supportive. He was a hundred percent on board with me, um, getting treatment for addiction. Um, and you know, he completely changed his lifestyle. Like he's a person who can drink normally. Like he was able to stop when we were doing the, the fertility treatments, like, yeah, like, yeah. Since you won't be drinking, you know, I'll stop with you for the two weeks and that you're waiting. And so as soon as I saw that he could stop and I couldn't, like I was, you know, sneaking shooters on the way home from work and things like that. And I was just like, Ugh, you know, he can stop and I can't like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I do this? And it, it was just the, per, you know, continuous perpetuates your, yeah, your, your alcoholism. Yeah. Right, yeah. Exactly. And making you feel worse. Right. Almost exactly. in a way. So it's always you stop and mm-hmm. the, um, what they call a social drinking thing where you, you know, you can stop whenever you want right weeks months at a time and yeah yeah and I wasn't able to do that and then just the guilt of being like why can't I do it and like but I I need this vodka to get through the night you know what's wrong with you know what's wrong with me why am I sitting here like I don't want to be here drinking but I'm doing it you know um and that's just part of the disease of alcoholism so um you know I learned all of the I mean I I knew about those things when I was in it, but I just wasn't ready to quit. But you know, I yeah. learned how to deal with it and cope mm-hmm. with everything in rehab. So, um, you know, one of the things it it was really um, it was just so upsetting because when we got on Clomid, I bought like a onesie for um, how I wanted to surprise my husband when we did get pregnant or whatever, and so it was a cute little onesie that said it had like an elephant on it and said hey daddy can't wait to meet you mommy says you're awesome Um, and so I had that like hidden away for whenever we would get pregnant and so um right before rehab when they were going through all my closets looking for vodka he found the onesie and it was just like a shattering moment for him because it's like you don't know how long it's gonna be and right and he's yeah. dealing with his wife going through Born alcoholism. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did bring the onesie with me. It was like what I brought to rehab to kind of keep me. Um, Just like a reminder, right? This is why I'm doing this. And, you know, I want to be sober for my family. I want to be sober for myself, most of all. But 
you know, I won't get the family I want without getting alcohol free pretty much. Um, so yeah, it was really, um, and then, you know, being able to put that onesie on our daughter was just like amazing in the future, you know? Um, so yeah, so we did have a few months of a break, um, trying to get sober and stay. So like, you know, most people don't stay sober. So, um, we didn't know how I would do once I re-entered the real world, you know, you're in such a bubble when you're in rehab because you can't go get anything. <laughs> or I mean, you can, but you get kicked out usually if they find out, you know, people try to smuggle things in and all sorts of weird stuff goes on in those places. But um, you just aren't sure how you'll deal with the triggers and the social aspect and everything once you get out. Um, and so we gave it a few months, making sure that I was staying clean and not drinking and doing all the right things. Um, so we didn't start doing fertility stuff for, I want to say probably seven or eight months. Um, so when you've already been trying for two and a half years and then you are put on hold, it's just so frustrating, but I knew I needed to do that to get, to get to where we were, you know? Um, so we did finally decide to start doing it again. Um, and that's when we started doing um, IUIs mixed with the shots. Um, so we did four um, cycles of that and they all failed. Um, so basically, I mean, our uh, diagnosis was basically unexplained infertility, okay. which is so frustrating in itself. It's like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? And it's like, obviously, you know, I think my drinking contributed to some of it, but I don't think that was the main reason. Um, but it turned like for my age. Um, so at the time I was, when we got married, I was 30. Um, and then so trying since I was 30 um and then we finally got pregnant when I was 33 33 yeah so um 35 is considered the geriatric age I hate the freaking like oh labels man god it's, it's ridiculous they're like it's you're on the verge of being place. old and I'm like are you serious when I hear the word advanced maternal age I freaking cringe because like I know I had my son at the same age you had your, your twins. I was I was I was 32 when I got pregnant. By the time I had him, I had just turned 33. So I was like, if I have a sibling, if I want to have a sibling for him in a couple of years, then they'd be freaking calling me advanced maternal age. And then and it's like, uh like, thank you. It's so ridiculous. I hate it with the passion. I really I do, do too. I really do. And oh my gosh. I don't I mean, yeah, I am I am with you hundred <laughs> percent. Um <laughs> They were like, for your age, you're not producing enough eggs. Okay. Um, and my husband, apparent, we had um, like all of his sperm checked out and everything. And I guess the morphology was abnormal. Um, so because of that, you know, the two of us just kind of weren't compatible. Um, so it was considered unexplained, but those were the two things that were causing the main issues. Um, so when we did, so we did the four IUIs, um, 
and it's just, you know, month after month of getting negative, 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 and, you know, poking yourself with millions of needles and doing so many blood tests and just like all the hormones and stuff. It's such a roller coaster. And then on top of it all, so now I'm sober doing it all, which is amazing. But at the same time, I'm like, fuck, it would be awesome to just drink through this. Because yeah, that's how I was going to be. I actually like how was that emotionally trying to stay clean and going, that must have been like a mind drop. It was really hard. And it was like, it's so amazing what you can do sober once you get there. Because of course, you know, when you're in the darkest parts of your addiction, you're like, oh my God, I, I can't imagine going two seconds without this. How am I going to get through anything? And then once you get sober, it's like, wow, I got through that. I got through, you know, death of family members, of dogs dying and, you know, all sorts of things. And I didn't have to drink through it. So it's really just amazing if you do, I mean, I know this isn't a recovery podcast, but if you do the work and do the steps that you need to, it does work um and you can stay sober as long as you work at it i mean it is like a full-time job so they say if you spend as much time as you focused on drinking or drugging as you do on trying to stay sober like you should be okay because basically we obsess over it all day long (laughs) so if we try to you know just obsess on staying clean all day long then it's it makes perfect sense to like refocus your obsessive um, behavior right. because I think I've talked to so many people who have had all types of addictions and um, alcoholism running in you know one side of my family my dad's side and it's all about um, just finding another way to cope with whatever you feel like you can't is that right. sort of what it, what they're teaching you and how it feels going through it exactly so they they say your alcoholism is a symptom it's not it's not the problem so I needed to learn how to deal with my anxiety and depression and like why I was feeling those things um and like the core root of what was really going on was um you know deeper things and I was just simply using alcohol because I didn't want to feel those feelings um yeah yeah so then once you're clean it's like oh I actually feel these things and it hurts yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. you like learn how to work through it and everything um so it was I mean it was definitely a mind fuck just yeah. being sober and feeling all the feelings and then um like you blame yourself so much for not being able to get pregnant too it's like why is my body not able to do this um and the guilt and the shame is just such a big thing with both infertility and addiction so that's why I was like man it must have been a mind fuck because you're dealing it's the same hurting issues right both in both diseases you know exactly it's like just hit me I know, so, you know, at the same goddamn time, you know, everything right. you just hitting me, you know, it's crazy. Oh my god! Exactly. Gosh. I mean, it's just uh, such a blessing then for you to like even have the babies and be as healthy as you are now mentally. Right. I know. You know, and it's really amazing. And I'm, I'm actually really grateful that I was unable to get pregnant 
while I was drinking because yeah. I feel like I probably wouldn't have stopped. Um, and who knows, you know, what would have happened? Like yeah. fetal alcohol poisoning and all that is such a huge issue. Um, yeah. and even, I mean, I'm, I can't say that I would have drank to the point of blackout every day. Like I was, but you know, right, it's like, right. I probably would have had shots of vodka here and there and like that's mm -hmm. not good anyway but mm -hmm. so it, everything happened the way it was supposed to the path I'm on is yeah. how it was supposed to work out but um after the four failed IUIs we were just like mm -hmm. we were just emotionally exhausted and so we wanted to take another few months off um we knew IVF was the next thing that we had to do um but we wanted to just have a few months where we didn't worry about mm -hmm. shots mm -hmm. and all that. So Taking a I think very break, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I remember December was, um, one of the last cycles we did for IUI. And it was really funny because, um, well, not at the time, but the, <laughs> the first time we did the needles in the, so I'm, until this, like, I'm not scared of needles anymore, but I was right. until all this stuff. <laughs> I hated them so much. And then they sent us the wrong needle. And of course it happened on a weekend that we started using it. Oh my gosh. Everything so happens on a freaking weekend, man. Oh my God. So Every they sent time. the big one that you're supposed to, like, not the tiny, cute little one that goes in. They sent that massive one that you're supposed mm -hmm. to like extract everything from. And that's what we had to poke myself with the first cycle and I was just like oh my god this is the worst my husband's there with this huge needle like here we go um and I was just like ah. um so that was very traumatic and then so we go in on the Monday or Tuesday or, and and I was like this is the needle they made me use and they were like oh my god that's not the right needle um I was like like, like uh, why did they send the wrong one but um just live and learn you know I was bruised all over I don't have a ton of like I'm pretty slim and slender I don't have a ton yeah. of fat so bruised everywhere from all the shots but um we decided to do IVF and then we did um uh ICSI with it mm -hmm. I forget what that stands for but we wanted to do that because of my husband's um, morphology and morphology. Yeah. Um, we did not end up doing the genetic testing. Okay. Um, the PGS, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We didn't choose to do that one, but we did do the ICSI. Um, and so the first round of IVF did work. So we only had to do one IVF round. Amazing. Um, but we got, I think I had um, on the day of transfer there were five embryos um that were pretty good and the they recommended putting one in um and at the time I was like I'm not very good at saying no and so I was like okay whatever you think is safe that's fine and my husband could tell I was like hesitant about it. And he mm -hmm. looked at me and was like, this is your body. This is your chance. Like, are you sure you only want one? And I was like, no, I want two, but I don't, it doesn't seem like they think that's a good idea. And he was like, this is your choice, not theirs. 
he's like, okay. So I like last minute decided to put in two embryos. Um, and that's, so that's how we got the twins. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, there, so it's fraternal boy, girl. Um, oh, that's so special. Yeah. yeah. So there wasn't like splitting of the embryo or anything yeah. to get identical, but, um, it was just a last minute decision. And so part of, I was just like laying there like, uh, I want more than one child. <laughs> I don't want to go through this again. Like yeah, yeah. just what are the odds that it'll work? And, and so just like in that all the back and forth. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was just like, Oh, we're going to do it. Yeah. We're going to do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Maybe yeah, yes, Scotty. Yep, pretty much. In there. <laughs> so it was an awesome decision. I think I was meant to be a twin mom. Um, I joke that I'm an overachiever. <laughs> um, but just um just having two is um to me amazing. Like I'm super grateful I didn't have yeah. one to compare it to because I think that would make it a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Um so to me, just two is completely normal. Um, when I see like single strollers, I'm just like, oh, that's strange. And I always say they <laughs> and like babies and, mm-hmm. you know, people are just like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, right. I have two. Um, and so it, it's just to me completely normal. That's but it's normal, like, yeah. yeah, they play together. They talk together. They have their little language. They're just yeah. like oh. the cutest little babies. Um, so yes, I did end up getting pregnant with both of them. It was very um stressful at the beginning because our first ultrasound showed pregnancy and it showed two but they only saw one heartbeat so they were like it was kind of like congratulations but one's not really there so Mm. it was very conflicting like happy and sad um and I was like yes it is like there's two in there it's fine. Like, I just felt that there were two the whole time and, but they were so negative. They were just like, there's no chance it's going to, um, it's going to last. It's, they thought it was going to be the disappearing twin syndrome. Yeah. 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 One like absorbs the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, but congratulations, you're pregnant. And I was just like, like, God damn, I can't get a break around here. I know. It's I'm ridiculous. Like, okay, I got like, good two week wait. We got two. Right? But now right? we don't know if the second one is going to make it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, And so that was baby A or twin A. Um, and so the next ultrasound was, I think, eight weeks. And they were completely flabbergasted, like shocked. They were like, oh, there are two heart beats. And I was like, oh, I fucking knew it. <laughs> like, I knew it. The whole time twin A was um, measuring like 10 days behind, which was really strange. I guess there are times in twins where people do have sex like at separate days and they end up conceiving on separate days. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard of it, yeah. Within the same cycle. I forget what the like, I don't know technically term, either. technical yeah. term is, but yeah. like they were convinced that is what happened. And I was like, no, I seriously like IVF. They put it in me at the, I know exactly the time stamp. <laughs> yeah, I got all of me. the records. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, here are the paper. Here's the paperwork. Yeah. For um, sure. And they, like certain doctors were like, 
were like, are you sure? And I was like, yes, we did IVF. I promise. Did and you even like, read my paperwork before we came in? And they were like, are you sure you didn't have sex again? Like after the IVF? And I was like, uh, we spent 45 freaking grand on this. Do you think we were going to like not follow the directions and like, exactly. anything? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh my gosh. We definitely abided Bottom, by the rules and yeah, everything. Right. So it was very interesting that twin A was um was pretty much throughout the whole pregnancy, ten, like eight to ten days behind. Wow. Um and he so we didn't find out the sexes, so we didn't know. So they were twin A and twin B throughout the entire thing. Um and twin A turned out to be my son and twin B is my daughter. So he was smaller the entire pregnancy and um, smaller when he was born. And he was actually also born with a birth defect that they couldn't see um, in utero. So it was like, he is just our little miracle baby fighter throughout the whole thing. Like he's, he's been the one. She's not leaving this this utero without me. I know. I'm going to. He's like, I am here for a reason. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But you know, that's not uncommon though, because even like my son is a preemie, a micro preemie, former micro preemie, 24 weeks, four days. And oh my gosh, the disparity between the growth and the survival rate between girls and boys is so vastly different. Right. Micro preemie boys, are given like a 20 to 25% chance where the girls are given 40 to 50% chance of survival. Exactly. So I think maybe that has something to do with it because boys, you know, they like to let, they tend to mature a little bit slower than a bit girls. Slower. Yeah. It was funny that in the NICU, they called him, um, oh, what was it? It was uh, every time, oh, it was something like, oh he's white boy baby or something Mm -hmm. they called him wbbs or something like that Mm -hmm. because or wimpy white baby wimpy white boy because okay Okay. um, Okay. because boys are so far behind and then apparently um white boys more so than really i I guess yeah Um, but it was kind of funny because you know everyone says that boys are further behind or whatever yeah yeah yeah. um but yeah so he's definitely our miracle baby in general yes if there's anybody out there suffering with any kind of form of um addiction whether it's eating addictions anything normalized way what would you say to them and and what would you encourage them to do um while they're on a journey because you know we want to do things want to give us right well so it really is um you just need to do it for yourself. Um, there's no good way to get better if you're only doing it for someone else. Um, and so really you just have to reach that point where you're ready to make the change. Um, and if you're thinking you're ready, but you're not quite there, you know, just reach out to someone like me or anyone who has experience, um, just surround yourself with people that know and have been through it. Um, for me, it was really important when I was in rehab to talk to people that had been through an addiction themselves. Um, like if I had a therapist that hadn't, I was kind of like, well, why are you telling me what to do mm-hmm. when you've not been through it? So I feel like surrounding yourself with people that are in a place where they're recover 
like recovering and um I think that's really important and just know that it can get better um it does just take the work to do it for yourself um but that's one of the things I'm here for is um I'm trying to do like a little blog and everything on Instagram, Facebook and everything. So um, it's kind of like an inspirational site for both people who want to be sober or thinking of being sober, but also people who are dealing with infertility. Cause I do think there are so many like emotional similarities. Um, And so, you know, I'm definitely here as a resource and I have a ton of resources myself since I've been through all of it. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I, I definitely feel like there's probably some people silently suffering with some issues. Absolutely. Just as deep as infertility and going through infertility at the same time. So that's right. why I just had to get you on because I, I haven't had a story like this before on the podcast. And so, yeah, well, I'm so excited that I'm the, one of the first and I yes. do think it's so, I mean, addiction and sobriety and recovery does have such a stigma with it. Like some people just really don't want to talk about it and they want to remain anonymous. And I don't, this is me, this is who I am and I want to help people. So um, I'm here for anyone that's going through it. Well, you guys heard it here first at Infertility and Me with Ellen. And Ellen, give us your social media handle for Instagram so that people can connect with you and Absolutely. continue to connect with you there. You can find me. My handle is Clean Twin Mom. So clean, like a, some people think it's like clean eating, but <laughs> <laughs> Clean Twin Mom is what you can find me at. Um, and I try to post um, every day. I have quotes and inspiration and then I just have little blurbs of my life and yeah. I try to keep it humorous because um you know you gotta laugh about these things when it's so dark and depressing you just have to find the humor in all of it so yeah yeah well thank you so much Ellen and thank you friends for tuning in with us on Infertility and Me podcast love you guys peace and blessing